Today I want us to look at another one of our great heroes of the faith. In that same chapter, Hebrews 11 and 1 that we just looked at, in that same chapter, uh, the writer of Hebrews unveils for us a list of heroes of the faith, those who understood what it means to have confidence in that which I have yet to see. Heroes of the faith whose very lives demonstrated for us what faith looks like, how it works, and how we can learn from them. And so this morning I want us to continue in that series. And this morning we're going to talk about Jacob. Jacob is one of the ones listed in that great list in Hebrews chapter 11 as a person of great faith. Jacob is Abraham's grandson. We talked about Abraham last time. Abraham had his son Isaac. Isaac had his son Jacob. So we're just a couple of generations from where we were last week. And I want us to look at his story, just one very small portion of his story, in the book of Genesis, chapter 32. If you have your Bible with you, look with me in that first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 32. And we're going to begin at verse 22. You remember that uh, Jacob is, is a twin. He has a brother. And while they were still in their mother's womb, the Bible says they were already fighting. And then when it was time to be born, Esau was born first. But Jacob reached out and grabbed onto his heel, almost like he's trying to pull him back in so Jacob could get out first. And because of that, he was named Heel Snatcher. It's the very literal translation of the name Jacob. It is Heel Snatcher. And that name eventually became one that meant the supplanter, or we might say the deceiver, the cheat, the con man. But originally, it meant Heel Snatcher because they, they've been, they were at each other their whole lives. And you remember... When they got a little bit older, Jacob was able to basically trick and steal the birthright and dad's blessing. Both of those should have gone to Esau, but Jacob was able to manipulate with the help of his mama. They were able to manipulate things and were able to deceive and were able to, to get uh, the birthright and the blessing away from Esau. Well, as you can imagine, Esau was not very happy about that. So Jacob's mom says, why don't you go away and go find a wife somewhere? While you're going over yonder to find a wife, maybe Esau will calm down. So Jacob goes, and sure enough, he finds a wife, and uh, he finds a father-in-law who plays the deception game pretty well himself. And Jacob winds up kind of being tricked into staying with father-in-law for close to 20 years. Finally, Jacob is on his way back. Now he's got a couple of wives, and he's got a bunch of kids, and he's got a bunch of servants, and he's got a bunch of herd, a bunch of cattle, or, or, or uh, really goats and sheep. He's got a bunch of livestock. Why? Because he continued to... Be, to, to be able to manipulate things. He, he, he stayed deceptive, and he was, he was able to build for himself a great uh, 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 livestock, a great house, if you will. All right? 
But now God says, go back home. So he's got to go back home. Well, going home would be fine, except that as he goes home, he knows he's going to have to face Esau again. And so he becomes very afraid. He finds out that Esau is indeed headed his way. As Jacob is headed back home, Esau has come out with 400 men to meet him. So Jacob gets very scared, as, as any of us would. And he comes up with a plan. He sends some of his people ahead of him. Give him all these gifts. And then, and then we'll wait a little bit. And another group of my people, y'all go and you give him a bunch of gifts. And, and then another group, you'll go a little bit later and give him a bunch. of. Hopefully we can appease him. Maybe we can, we can make him feel better so he won't beat me up. Yeah. And it is that very night after he comes up with this plan and he sends his people forward to meet Esau somewhere uh, in between it is that very night that the event recorded for us in Genesis chapter 22 takes place uh, look with me 32 Genesis 32 beginning at verse 22 the same night he arose and took his two wives his two female servants and his 11 children by the way, that is probably 11 sons, most likely um, had more, more children, but 11 sons, crossed the ford of the Jabbok. That's a stream there. Verse 23, he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? He said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and, have, and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. In the story, we find Jacob wrestling with God. Now, when you look at it, you say it said there was a man. Yes, but in other, in other scriptures, we'll look at one in, out of Hosea in just a minute, but in other scriptures it makes it clear that this was God. You say, well, how would God come down and wrestle with a man? It could be what we call a pre-incarnate Christ, that God the Son came all the way back there for this one event, even before he was born in Bethlehem, that God the Son took on human form and came and wrestled. I, however, think that it's probably more likely 
that this is a great angel. He wrestled with God's representative. An angel who is a messenger from God comes and wrestles with Jacob, representing God, wrestling on his behalf. And it is in that, in that experience, in that night, that we learn something that can be life-changing if we'll let it. And that is simply this. Too many of us settle for superficial faith. Too many of us settle for the faith that was passed down to us from grandma and mama. They taught us to believe, and so we believe. It's all we've ever known. And so we have a superficial faith that was just handed down, and we carry it on more like a family tradition. Many of us have a very simple faith, and that is that I just believe God no matter what. I believe God no matter what, and so I'm just going to go on and believe God no matter what, and that's just, that's just how I define it. Jacob came to a place in his life where his faith was deepened, where his faith was challenged. When his faith was challenged, it became very real, very personal, and it, it became life-changing. That's what I want, us to, I want to challenge you to think with me over the next few minutes together. Are we settling for an easy, superficial, go-to-church faith? Or are we willing to get in the ring and wrestle with God about the difficult things in life? Are we willing to have an encounter with God that is not fun and easy and happy? Are we willing to let him look deep within us and wrestle from us the things that, that keep us from being who he intended us to be? Can we go a little deeper than just saying, I'm a Sunday morning believer? To wrestle with God is to have a personal encounter with him that becomes real, personal, and life-changing. If you think about it, the same thing is true in our human relationships. I can know your name. And I can say, hey, when, when I see you in the street, in the hallway, I can know your name and I can say, hey. Or we can get together, spend time together. We can find things that we actually disagree about. We can talk through those things. We can wrestle together. And what happens is when we put that kind of investment into our relationship, what happens is we become closer I really get to know the you behind the name. And you get to know me. And now we have a personal relationship instead of a, hey, dude. It's the same thing with God. So as we look at it this morning, I want to ask you, would you be willing to accept a tremendous challenge? And that is to move beyond superficial Sunday faith and to really wrestle with God, to allow him to see who you really are 
and for you to acknowledge who you really are and to deal with him on his terms. It's not easy. So let me show you how as we learn from Jacob. First, if we're going to experience that with him, the first thing we have to do is get alone with God. In verse 22, it said that he arose, he took his, his family, and he put them on the other side of the stream. I think there are two reasons for that. If he put them on the other side of the stream, that means that they have crossed a boundary, a border, if you will, and now they are on the home side. They're headed, they're headed home. They're on the Canaan side, if you want to think of it in those terms. So one of the, one of the, the reasons he did that is to make sure that they're on, on the safety side. But also, he did that because he knew that he needed some time alone with God. And so he sent the family across the creek, across the stream, if you will. In verse 24, it said, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. There is a time in our lives, and that time comes more regularly than we, should, than we usually admit, there are times in our lives when we need to shut up, sit down, and be alone with God. If you, uh, if you think about Jesus as our great example, do you know what he did before he even began his earthly ministry? What he did before he even began his earthly ministry, he spent over a month all alone with God in the wilderness. There's a reason for that. You know what Jesus did before he went to Calvary? Right before he went to the cross to die for us, you know what he did? He went to the garden and he spent time alone with God. When he was in the midst of his ministry, that's the beginning and the end, but what about in the middle of his ministry? In the middle of his ministry, when he's teaching and the crowds are all around him and they're all begging for this and this one needs, a, needs new ears and this one needs new legs and this one needs new eyes and this one needs food and this one needs that and something else. And more than once we have recorded in the Gospels that Jesus withdrew to be alone with God. Now, if God Almighty, the Son of God, come in human form, needs to stop to spend time alone with God the Father, who am I to think that I don't need that? Why do I convince myself that I got this? When the truth is, without God, I ain't got nothing. That is, that, that's the, the grammar in Greek. Yeah, it's... it's Without God, I ain't got nothing. But we strut around. I got this. I'm tough. I'm smart. I'm certainly better than that guy who lives next door to me. I got this. And the problem is when we think we've got it all together, we fail to take the time necessary to be alone, to be real. Lisa and I like to spend time together. Of course, that's probably a good thing since we're married. And we like to spend time together. We like to spend time with our friends, too. 
we really enjoy just getting together and having fun with other people. We're kind of people people. <laughs> and so we enjoy hanging out with other folks. But as much as I enjoy getting together with other folks and doing other things, there's nothing more important in our relationship than being alone together, just the two of us. Your relationship with God cannot, will not ever grow deeper, more meaningful until you take time to invest time into that personal relationship. You have to be alone. Jacob knew that he needed that, and so he set up an, a, a, an opportunity whereby he could just be alone with God. Too many of us depend on the prayers of others instead of being alone so we can plead our own case. Hosea reminded us of Jacob's experience when he said, In the womb he took his brother by the heel. In his manhood he strove with God. You see that? He fought with God. He wrestled with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He was alone so that he could plead his case, so that he could interact with the God that he needed so desperately at that time. And so the first thing that we can learn from Jacob is how important it is to be alone with God. The second thing that we can learn from him, if we're willing to allow our faith to go deeper than the Sunday superficial kind of faith, if we're willing to wrestle with God, the second thing we have to learn is to be persistent with God to be persistent with God. In verses 25 and 26 of our story, the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, so he touched his hip socket. Now, understand, as, as we read that, it sounds like they're wrestling, and this angel, man, the angel should have beat Jacob, but he just couldn't win. That's what it sounds like. Now, actually, what's happening is the angel has great power. We know that because with one touch, Jacob's hip was thrown out of socket. So don't think that the angel was losing the fight because Jacob was stronger. The point of the wrestling match was to see how long Jacob could hang in there and persist in his desire to connect with God. Jacob, how serious are you about this? And when the angel realized that Jacob was not going to give up, he was going to keep at it. Then the angel figured, well, we got to find a way to stop this wrestling match. So here you go. And the hips out of the socket. And wrestling match is over. But he acknowledged that, that Jacob had been persistent, that he was not going to give up. And look at what Jacob said then in verse 26. He said, let me go for the day is broken. This is the angel speaking. All right, Jacob, let me go. We fought all night long, son, and now I got things to do. Let me go. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. There's a persistence in a deep faith. A faith that makes a difference in my life and in my world is a faith that is so deep and profound that it's persistent. It doesn't give up. Jesus told us that if we're going to be his disciples, we have to ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock 
and it'll be open to you. But all three of those verbs that we find when Jesus told us those, all three of those verbs have a very important verb form that means keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. You say, well, I don't want to bother God. God wants you to keep knocking. You say, well, eventually it's going to get on his nerves. You keep knocking. Jesus told the story about the judge. And the lady came asking for help, and she just kept knocking and knocking and knocking, and finally the judge responded. Jesus told that story to tell us, you keep knocking. Some of you have been praying. Some of you have been praying for that, that son or that daughter or that grandson, or that granddaughter. Some of you have been praying for a spouse. Some of you have been praying for 30, 40, 50 years for someone to get right with God. And I'm going to tell you today, tomorrow you pray it again. And the day after that, you pray it again. And the day after that, you pray it again. Until you go home or until God answers you in a clear way, you keep on knocking. Jacob said, I'm not going to let go until I get the blessing that I need to have. I'm not going to let go until I find that spiritual breakthrough and I finally connect with God in a powerful and meaningful way. And don't you give up too soon either. You stay at it. You keep at it until that breakthrough comes and you finally connect with God in a way that you have never connected before and in that way that you want so desperately. David understood what that felt like. He said, as the deer pants for flowing streams, as that thirsty deer just, just is panting, can't, can't get to the water fast enough, so pants my soul for you, oh God. Do you have that desire, that hunger, that thirst within you that is just driving you to something deeper? Don't give up. Don't settle for religion. Don't settle for church. You stay persistent until you break through and you find that connection with God. Keep that hunger, that thirst, until it happens in your life. Be persistent with God. Then we also learn from Jacob, if we're going to wrestle with God to the point that we connect with him in a, in a meaningful way, the third thing we learn is to get authentic with God. The angel asked Jacob, what's your name? Now, understand that every time God asks man a question, God does not need the answer, man does. When Adam is, uh, is in the, uh, the garden after he sinned, Adam is, he realizes he's naked and he hides. God walks through the garden. He says, Adam, where are you? That's not because God didn't know. It's because Adam needed to recognize where he was. Here he says, what's your name? It's not because God doesn't know his name. It's because he needed Jacob to acknowledge who he was. And Jacob had to say, I'm the heel snatcher. I'm Jacob. I'm the deceiver. I'm the supplanter. I'm the liar, the cheater. That's me. That's who I am. He had to confess in reality who he was. He had to be authentic with God. And as long as we refuse to be authentic with God, we will have to settle for that superficial relationship. It's only when we're real with him and say, God, this is who I am. These are my faults. These are my mistakes. These, 
these are my sins. These are my weaknesses. It's only then that we really begin to connect with him. Get alone so you can be honest. Be persistent so you can be focused. And get authentic so you can be real. And then finally, we learn from Jacob, if we're going to wrestle with God into that real relationship with him that is the deeper kind of faith, if we're going to experience that, the fourth thing that we learn from Jacob is we have to let God change us. Let God change you. In verse 28, the angel says, your name is no longer Jacob. Your name is not heel snatcher anymore. Now, your name is Israel. Israel means strive with God. Israel means wrestle with God. The name means here is someone who is striving. And from that moment, Israel's life changed. He was no longer a heel snatcher, a deceiver, a liar, and a cheat. Now he was the one who strived with God so much that he found a deeper, more personal, more meaningful relationship. And from him came the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And even today they live up to their name, don't they, as those who strive those who wrestle they have not had an easy life in this world but they but but Isaac but uh, 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 Israel Jacob who became Israel continued in his faith a faith that he found on the banks of the Jabbok stream when he wrestled all night with a representative of God himself so let me ask you, when's the last time you took time to be alone? When's the last time you worked hard enough to be persistent? When's the last time you were real enough to be authentic? When's the last time you gave in, surrendered, and let God change you? It's been too long.